0: This is the uh, So You Want to Be a Designer panel. Um, I'm Anna Maria Jackson phillips I'll be your moderator. I, uh, I work for Girls Game Shelf. And we're going to start out with uh, all of our designers introducing themselves. And if you can't hear us in the back, say something, so.
1: Or move forward, because there's plenty of seats. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the mics are just for show. They make us like There's a whole we're front row available. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, so kick it off. Um, my name is Elizabeth Hargrave. I am the designer of Wingspan and Tussie Mussy and a couple other forthcoming games.
3: I'm Sarah Addison. I am a not-yet-published game designer.
1: Uh, I'm Jonathan Delmar. I designed Dead of Winter, Dinosaur Island, Kids on Bites, and some other things. And I work for Pandasaurus Games as their head of development.
4: Um, I'm Catherine Croft. I run a science theme game company called Cat Lily Games. Cool, so
0: these are our panelists. Um, We're gonna have some discussion up here. I'll ask a few questions, they'll throw out some answers, and then hopefully about 10 minutes before we're set to close, we'll start taking questions from the audience. But if you guys want or need something clarified while we're talking up here, feel free to throw it out and somebody will get to it, I'm sure. All right, so let's start with, what game have you played as a player that taught you the most about design? I've stumped the panel. I win. <laughs> thank you for coming.
1: Do you want to go in order or do you just want us to jump in?
0: Just jump in if you feel like you've got something.
1: Uh, for me, it was um, oh boy, what's the title of the game now? Uh, the fireworks game. We played the cards facing away from Hanami. Me. Hanami. Yes, thank you. And I've played it a million times and I rated it a 10 for a long time. Um, and it really taught me a lot about elegance and game design. I mean, it's really like two rules. And it's such a tense game every time. And, you know, it really helps me figure out that, like, the less rules, really the better a lot of times.
4: Um, for me, actually, um, I'm a huge fan of Mole Rats in Space. If you play mm-hmm. that, I think now it's called Space Escape, but I refuse to call it that. They have a copy of it So I'm a big um, Matt Leacock fan. Pandemic is my favorite mm-hmm. game. But um, he created Mole Rats in Space for younger kids um, with Peaceable Kingdom and it's just so elegant and I use it in my company to teach like my idea of like the the perfect kids game because it's really hard a lot of logic but also really simply designed. and it anchors um, this strategy to like a shoots and ladders type theme so kids are afraid to try something new something more difficult um, and it has little like toy tokens which are really key for kids games and just it really has all the elements that that you need for a really strong children's game.
5: Um
4: they're little the tokens like there's little like little mole rats that you can move around with and they have backpacks so you can stick things in the backpack and it's just it's adorable everything about it like mm. is just really well done.
3: Um I think this is probably a weird answer but uh, Blockus because it's, it's such a simple game, it doesn't look like anything, there's no art, but when you're playing, it's really st- strategic, and there are lots
2: of surprises. Um. I say the game that I recently sort of had that same epiphany along with John and Sarah about sort of like, this game is so simple, but so... Um, there's so many interesting decisions to be made was Kingdom Builder which I played a bunch um, recently and because it only has like three rules I ended up teaching it over the course of a weekend to a bunch of people who do not play a lot of games and it was so accessible and um, just a reminder to me I think the whole experience with Wingspan this year has been a big reminder to me of where a lot of people are entering games from, because Wingspan seems really complex to a lot of people who haven't played modern board games. Um, and I think Kingdom Builder is like even another <coughs> level simpler um, mm-hmm. and sort of an, an, a good accessibility point. Um, and then the, the first game that came to mind, actually, when you asked was, I'll throw in Castles of Burgundy, because I remember it as I was just starting game design, Blowing my mind, the concept that the num like one number on a die is not necessarily always better than Mm -hmm. another. Like sixes are not better than ones in Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, um, and that was. I think that's a really important concept that um, that Euro games have sort of broken through, and now it's sort of commonplace in a lot of games. But but for people who grew up playing things like, sorry, like that's a revolutionary concept. Yeah, Yeah, and I noticed all of you
0: said accessibility in your answer, and I wonder, um, do you feel like we're getting better? I mean, as our games get longer and a little bit more difficult and this hobby grows, do you think we're getting better about accessibility in games, or are we losing that a little bit? And can, does somebody in the back mind closing the door? It's a little loud, I know we're not very loud, so. (laughs)
2: I feel like we're <laughs> diversifying on that front. Like there are games that are getting heavier and heavier, but I, I do think a lot of publishers are showing a fair amount of interest in sort of the other end of the spectrum and and stuff that is accessible. Yeah, and you know, and, the, and we use the word accessible in so many different ways, right? So like this version of accessibility that we're talking about, I think is purely about like rules complexity and can you sit down and play this game without a ton of de- of time figuring it out, um, which is completely separate from, but overlapping with, in some interesting ways, accessibility in terms of, like, the gender skew of the industry mm-hmm. and, and other things like that. But. Right. And I, I, it's not just
3: simplifying rules. The rule books are also getting better, and a lot of the more complicated games have two separate rule books so that when you need to look something up, you're looking in one Nicely organized book, but your actual how to play is separate from that.
0: Right. Or we have these uh, like setups, right? And walk you through the first couple of turns now. Mm -hmm. And then you pull out the dictionary of like, okay, here's how you (laughs) play the whole thing when you have to look up a rule. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned from working in design? And that could be either something that you've learned from gaming or something that maybe you brought into every another part of your life or another job even.
4: <laughs> um, just perseverance because um, yeah. I think that when people start out as game designers it's fun right like we it's our hobby we love playing board games we're gonna make our own it's really fun and then like it's not so fun because you have to play test it a lot and take notes and keep doing it and it's like it becomes work and I think a lot of people stop at that point because they're like this is not fun anymore And then when you go and pitch it to people, like you hear no like 90% of the time. And I think that a lot of people are very sensitive and um, this is their baby and they don't want it. I don't want to say anything bad about their baby. So you just have to be able to take the feedback and make it better and just keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and, it, and this is kind of a you know, really huge, broad topic, but I mean, it really taught me that representation matters. When Dead of Winter came out and people started coming up to me and saying, like, it's so nice to see somebody that's like me in a game, like, it really drove home the point that that matters to people. And, like, even though we're making games and they're fun, like, there's still a lot of things we can do to help normalize a lot of different issues that I think it's super important for us to push towards.
5: Absolutely.
3: I think I've learned um, ideas are cheap. Any idea I've come <laughs> up with has probably been thought of by ten or twelve other people, um, and an idea in my head is not a game design. <laughs>
2: yeah, for sure. I think for me, it's really been like getting comfortable with putting myself out there, and you have to do that from day one in terms <laughs> of playtesting and like going out to an event. With with something that is not a polished game, and just being willing to look, feel like you're gonna look stupid, and (laughs) then you realize everyone thinks it's really cool. You designed a game, and like it's fine, but you have to like go through that a bunch of times before you like. And then the the next level of pitching, and just like like Catherine said, of just having to put yourself out there, and now you're gonna get no ninety percent of the time. And as I was just starting to pitch, the I came across this a woman who wrote a book called Go For No, and this whole philosophy of like, you have to switch your mindset so that you're like actively trying to put yourself out there so much that your goal is like you're just counting how many times people say no to you, (laughs) right? And then at some point someone will say yes, if that is your goal to just like keep Keep racking up the nose until you get it. That's fine. You work on it like yeah. achievements. Like, I got ten right. nose yeah. You right. Go me.
1: I look at my bad ratings on BGG like that. Do I, I, I almost exclusively just read the bad ratings. I don't really get the good ones. Yeah. And I'm like, the, the more upset someone is when a game comes out, the better, I think. It's gonna be.
5: Well,
0: if nothing else you made them think, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean,
1: the the amount of hate for Dead and Winter really, like, crushed my soul when it comes to that. So like, now I don't even feel bad when people say bad things. on it. like, that's fine.
0: <laughs> That's intense. Well, for the people who are getting into design and starting to move forward in this process, um, how do you pitch a game? Oh. You know, when you get to that point, you, you think you're ready, you want to start going for your first count on your no little, uh, I see a little <laughs> thermometer and you just fill it in every time you get a rejection now. so, But, but what's the process of actually pitching a game to a publisher
5: or...
2: I mean, I think the most common thing is that people will go to a convention and book a whole bunch of meetings in one Mm -hmm. weekend, right? Like, that's a really efficient way to do it. I think more publishers are taking online submissions now where you can send them a video or something, and it's not necessarily um, required that you meet them at a convention, which is really important for making the whole industry a little bit more accessible to people that can't necessarily afford to go to conventions all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you just email the publisher. Like, every publisher's website will have on it somewhere how to submit a game design to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually around convention time, there may be extra information on there about specifically, like, at Gen Con, this is how to book a meeting with us. Um, so, yeah, like, when I pitched Wingspan, I, so I had three different meetings that people actually scheduled with me. I forget how many people I reached out to um, for those meetings. Um, and I did a lot of research ahead of time trying to figure out who the right publishers were, right? Because you don't yeah. want to waste your time or the publisher's time. You don't want to burn a bridge by bringing them something <laughs> that's not appropriate for them when like your third game from now is something that's appropriate for them. But they're never going to trust you again because you brought them something that didn't make sense. Uh, so you want to do your research and, and find a good fit. and. Yeah, I mean, almost all of the publishers will have like just back to back meetings. John sure. at yeah, how Gen many Calido? did we? We had oh, a, like 40, know, forty six meetings yeah. that we yeah. sat in on. Wow, For Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think we got pitched like fifty seven games yeah. over those meetings. Um, I mean, the thing I always tell people is treat it like a business because when publishers are at a convention, they're making money, so don't zev yells at me and tells me that i'm wrong and i'm a jerk for saying this but like for us i don't show up at the booth and hope to get a meeting because i'm booked up probably at least three weeks in advance but reach out well in advance you know send an email i'm always happy to reply and you know we have an online submission form but treat it like a business for at least on for people's benefit and it'll be better off for you yeah i
4: mean just add that yeah like I usually have to write a month ahead of time to get meetings with people because yeah you can't just show up and expect them to have time for you and um you also have to be able to explain your game in a short amount of time because they don't have a lot of time like maybe 20 minutes or so um so you gotta like highlight all the best parts of your game you know the age group the mechanic what's so appealing about your game what makes it different from other games and and, and get all of that across in an enthusiastic way mm. <laughs> in like <laughs> 20 minutes or so. Do
3: you have notes? I can just say from the pitch meetings I sat in on Gen Con, um, I don't care how many times your game has been playtested <laughs> um, or if those people said they liked it. Um, because we're looking at the game. We can decide whether we think it's good or not. Um, and don't try to sell a publisher a game they clearly don't want when they're saying, well, this is what we want. Your game doesn't fit it. Don't try to <laughs> squeeze your game into that little niche.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> take a blood out <laughs> of it. No <laughs> an yeah, right. <laughs> I would say don't be afraid to take a game and rework it. Like if the mm-hmm. publisher says, this isn't quite what we're looking for. We're looking for like 120 card games. That's fine. Like come mm-hmm. back later and say, hey, I reworked it. Some designers will say that, you know, your first impression is the only one. I try not to treat games like that. I'm happy to look at things early or late in the process, but but yeah, don't spend spend, spend a lot of my time trying to convince me that I'm wrong. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and
2: how many of your pitch meetings do you actually get to play part of the game? Zero. Pitch?
1: Okay. I, I, I'll never play a game at a convention. I mean, I, I will after hours for fun to help people, but in a pitch meeting, Like, I want to hear the super interesting things about the game. I mean, we played a full game at Unpub, or almost a full game. But typically, um, you know, I want to hear the interesting things, the things that make your game special. And I want a sell sheet with all the components on it so I know, you know, roughly what kind of price point we'd be looking at. And then if I'm interested, I'll either ask to take away a prototype from the convention or have you send me one afterwards. That's actually
2: something that hasn't come up. But sell sheets, I think, are like an industry standard Mm -hmm. if you're going to pitch to a publisher. And there are plenty of examples online if you search around for sell sheets. There are sell sheets that are (laughs) things that publishers put out to retailers, which is not the example you want. But then sell sheets that designers design specifically to sell their games to publishers, Uh, which will have the list of components and sort of the key highlights. And they don't have to be pretty. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Neither does your game. But the better your game looks, the less interested i probably in it, because it probably tells me that you spent more time on the graphic design than the game design. So <laughs> Don't be afraid to show me a very bad looking prototype, because mine all look like garbage. <laughs> so you made a comment saying don't tell us
0: how many times, don't tell us you playtested a lot, but on the flip side of that is, you better have playtested a lot, right? Well, yes.
3: Right, yeah. but you have to playtest enough time for the game to be good. So if you're bringing the game to a publisher, we you can assume you've play tested it a few times,
1: and we can tell. When yeah, it some some of those people <laughs> were lying. <Yeah.
0: laughs> I kind of want some tea now, but some examples, <laughs> so I'm not gonna ask for it. <laughs> so going along with that play testing, how do you collect data from your play tests? Do you have like a a notebook to keep? If you know?
2: I do. I have started keeping one notebook per box. Like, because I used to have like a design notebook with all my stuff for all my games in it. And then I would like not take it with a play t- you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm only taking the one game. So now I have like a book in each box of each game that I'm working on. And then like all the notes are right there for that game. Um, and I do do it all manually. Like I'm, I suck at taking notes on my phone, but I do. I do see people taking notes on their phone. I find it helpful when designers actually verbally say, I'm taking notes on my phone so it doesn't look like they're texting, yes. I'm, texting.
1: Um. I'm really bad about letting people know that. I need to get better about telling them. But I keep all my notes digitally because I co-design almost mm. exclusively. So if I type them directly into the document, my co-designers can see the notes That's right away.
3: Smart.
1: And I don't have to remember to do it later when I'm not going to want to.
3: <laughs> I'm really bad about taking notes. I have a tendency to start redesigning the game in my head as I hear the comments and I'm thinking about that rather than rather than actually writing anything down.
4: So Yeah, yeah I, I also keep a notebook and I've done the same thing that you did. <laughs> I have one for everything and then I forget it until so I have like four that are like random. So now I have like one that I buy for each game. Um and i need i i know some people that will take videos
5: mm-hmm.
4: um which i haven't done yet but they'll even like send the game across the country to like different focus groups and they'll take videos of the gameplay and then take notes on that matt does that
1: for probably matt like yeah that. i
4: think he does that and then um i've also seen some really nice like sheets like typed up um like all filled out Um, Like the time, the number of players, like the problems, Mm -hmm. like all these different things. And so I think there's things you can buy now. There's very good. Yeah. There's free forms
1: online, but Jay Tourmier's Fail Faster journal is fantastic. Mm Because it even reminds you to write down your playtesters' names, because that's something I forget all the time. And then when a game's going to publishing, I'm like, who played this, because I didn't write it down, <laughs> and I'd like to give you credit in the rule book.
2: That was something I got from Jay, As I've started, I have just got a copy, but um, I've started, yeah, the very first note for every playtest is always everyone's name. I, I just did so
1: the big pledge for like yeah. 20 or 30 of those journals, so I can put one in every game. Have done
2: that. Yeah, I yeah. got a set for Ben, and
0: Ben got a set for me. <laughs> so- <laughs> There's so plenty super- at the house right now. <laughs> Um, When you are approaching design for the first time, what's the first thing, do you come up with a mechanic and then go, oh, I need a theme for this? Or do you have like some hot theme and then you're like, I need to figure out what mechanics fit this theme. Which one comes first for you? I'm totally theme first.
2: Which is (laughs) probably obvious from all of my games. (laughs) Are there people that are both? I don't know. So what, what about
1: you guys? Um, I mean there's a lot that are one or the other, but yeah. I, I think of myself as experience first, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of both, because I always think exactly what I want the player to feel during the game and then try to craft both the mechanics and the theme to mesh with that. Interesting.
3: Yeah, I think I also kinda of do experience first, but I don't do the theme and mechanics at the same time. It's I do the mechanics. And then, usually somebody else tells me what theme goes with it. <laughs> <because> I'm terrible <laughs> at coming up with themes, but yeah, it's like I want a game where you're throwing cubes around, and then I make some kind of mechanic for how you're going to throw cubes around, and then I come up with a theme for it.
0: That's kind of interesting. So someone plays that mechanic and then says this feels like playing like cornhole in the backyard or something. <laughs> so it's yeah. a cornhole game
4: kind of thing. That's that's really neat. <laughs> um. A minor theme first, too, because um, our mission is to teach science in a fun way. So like it's not like hitting you over the head with the science, but we, I'm a teacher now. I used to be a scientist, now I'm a teacher. Um, and I will figure out, okay, this class is really boring. How do I make this lesson interesting? And so it comes from that, is like, how can I make this fun? And so I initially started off using it in my classroom. Um, and then I try and make it more mainstream. And just like, you could go as deep into the science as you want to, or you just play a fun game. Um, so I'm trying to make it both. But yeah, it's definitely a theme, like how do I get this chemistry concept across or whatever it is that um, people will have fun playing it.
0: Uh, did you ever have a mechanic that you thought was just fantastic <laughs> and then it went to playtesting, and it just like across the board was terrible and everybody hated it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh dead of winter had this really cool combat mechanic in it for like two years and that, that is no longer in the game but that was originally like the whole core of the game mm-hmm. um but i always any mechanics that i take out of a game i just write down in the document and i'll come back to them later so i just took that mechanic and built a different game around it that focused more on it and then it's the uh, wayward which comes out this year but yeah that happens all the time like but you have to learn to kill your darlings. Like, whenever you're designing a game, and my, my test is always, I'll take something out, and if nobody says they miss it, then it's gone. It's, it's never turned back. back.
4: <laughs> so I tend to, at least in the past, aim towards younger audiences, which they like a little bit more chance in their games. And it depends who I'm pitching it to, but some like publishers really don't like Chance, although it's a nice way to like throw it in to have it more accessible to non-gamers. So it's like this fine balance, so it just depends on the game. But I've had people say, oh, too much chance, or not enough chance, and it's just like, yeah, balancing the amount of chance in the game is hard.
3: (laughs) I've had a lot of moments where I want to try something that's never been done in a game before, so I'll make some kind of change, (laughs) and then there's a reason it's never been done in a game before.
2: i can't think of anything specific but i i tend to underestimate how complicated things are Mm for sure it seems like in your head it's just like very logical and
0: then totally obvious (laughs) then not so much why don't they understand this (laughs) speaking of in your head uh how do you come overcome like mental blocks or creative challenges when you get to a point and you're like, I can't, I can't progress this. I can't figure out what's missing, what I need to add or take away. How do you overcome designer's block?
1: I, I tend to brute force it. I'm a huge proponent of fail faster. So I don't make the right decision. I just make a decision and try it. And if it doesn't work, then I make myself make another decision. Um, there's a really good YouTube video about becoming a professional writer, which is different, but the core conceit of the video is like, you have to do the work. Like Stephen King just sits down and writes, you know, X amount of words a day, and they may not be good words and, you know, fits them later, but, and I think that applies to game design too, just, just do it. It's not gonna be good and accepting that it's probably not gonna be good is a huge hurdle, but it's gonna make your path a lot easier.
2: Yeah, I do think people get stuck a lot on the, like, the the stuckness can be worrying about whether you're doing the right thing or the perfect thing from the beginning, and you're just not, like, just be comfortable with not. <laughs> 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 um, but I would say, yeah. You know... I, I, there are a couple other techniques like sometimes I do just set something aside like if it's Mm -hmm. just like if I'm just stuck Mm -hmm. and I have other stuff to work on it's fine to like set it aside and your brain will keep chewing on it in the background and one day in the shower it will all (laughs) become clear (laughs) or you'll pull it out a month later and things will make more sense. Uh, I always tell
1: people when they come back to a shelf game you're going to be a better designer. Yeah that's you. You'll figure out how to fix it.
2: Right, and on the flip side, you can not shove it and just go play test it a bunch more, and someone else will have the idea for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That be awesome, right? That's, my That's what I was gonna say is that the
4: more you play with new people or different people, and just like you know, other people have great ideas, and I'm lucky because I have you know, actually five people that work for me, um, and they we design together. We have weekly meetings, and so like I'll have an idea, and I'm like, you know, what should I do? And so we'll brainstorm together. So it's really, really helpful, cause, and some of them are here. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's just nice to talk to someone about what's going on.
3: Sometimes it helps to just stop designing and play some games for a while. Yeah. Even if the game has nothing to do with yours, sometimes there's some little piece that you think, oh, I could use that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Where do you find
2: playtesters? just round them up at the local game store or? we are very lucky here in DC um, because yes partly <laughs> that. Uh, so there's a group called Break My Game mm-hmm. um, which meets monthly at the Board and Brew in College Park totally open to the public go on their website I forget which Sunday of the month it is um, and uh, so as a designer you can go sign up and then playtesters can just show up Uh, And that's been great, and it's been going for long enough that there's like a regular set of people that that you can rely on getting at at least a couple playtests there if you go as a designer. And then like once a quarter-ish, they also do it down at Labyrinth, um, which draws sort of a different set of playtesters because of the geography difference. Um, And then there are, as you get to know more designers in the area, there are a bunch of people that have playtests at their houses. Um, which is a little bit more invite only just because it's I'm inviting you to my house <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's definitely a lot of that going on between DC there's a bunch of folks up in Baltimore as well um, probably out in Virginia I don't know the Virginia direction yeah, there's
4: some like in the northern Virginia. I live in Warrington so I'm a little bit further out um, but I know like Northern Virginia area has um, like Arlington has a group that meets and things like that um, I'm lucky because I I'm a teacher, so like a lot of people are <laughs> um, and they're usually happy to play games with me. And um, I also have two children, and I play with them and their friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So there's the more formal ones, and then there's also like the informal ones.
1: Um, if you're not lucky enough to live, because in Northwest Ohio there were not a lot of designers when we started, but you know if you can first start people willing to play test a game usually they'll become interested in designing games as well (laughs) and you can build up that community if you're not very close to one or have one accessible
3: if you just get on social media and say hey does anyone want to play test games you'll find other people that are looking for play testers too yeah
1: and board game geek has a really good search function where you can search within like 30 miles radius of you and just look for people with a designer badge and send them messages and ask them where they play test because they probably want more people around.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say desi- playtesting with other designers has a ton of benefits over just randomly looking for playtesters. And problems. Um, mm-hmm. And problems. <laughs> but number one, like it's very easy to burn out people who are not also designers mm-hmm. because they think they're coming to play fun games. But really, you're going to make them play the same game over <laughs> and over every time. And it's like... <laughs> People will burn out on that. Um, And designers often are just thinking about the experience of playing your game and how it could be better at a totally different level of analysis than a random member of the public is, Mm -hmm. Um, which can be good or bad, but usually helpful.
5: But
3: there's also that occasional experience when a member of the public comes up with a really crazy, unique idea that a designer might not have thought of because they're sort mm-hmm. of in their little design shell.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just going to put in a little plug. There's a new place in Manassas called Crossroads Tabletop Tavern. Mm. It's amazing. It has like over 400 games in their library that you can play while you're eating or drinking. And he's the, John Hornberger, the owner, he's like organizing all of these game designer nights and things like that oh, cool. so it's really a fantastic resource in manassas absolutely how's the food it's good <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. going there. Uh,
0: john i know you touched on this a little but um how do you implement inclusivity into game design i mean what are what are the basics and how can we get further into doing that uh
1: that's i mean that's a great question a lot of it is just know building that in from the start and a lot of it is working with publishers that you trust because at the end of the day the publisher is going to do whatever they want to to your game unfortunately Mm -hmm. um so you know i've i've kind of identified publishers that i don't work with anymore because they i have to fight for it but it's it's also different for me because i got to the level where i could fight for it and it's a lot harder when you're you know searching for publishers and you don't have the options and you can't um, I think it's getting easier, um, and it's still a struggle, but I always just try to b- bake it in for the beginning. If you you know, if you have characters, make them double-sided and let people have choices from the start. And a lot of times, even if the publisher doesn't want to, they're just lazy, and they're going to take whatever you did and put rapid design on it. So if you just built it in, they'll just keep doing that because it's easier to do it. <laughs>
4: um, So, I'm I'm sorry, sorry. what was the (laughs) question? Inclusivity in game design. Yeah, so, yeah, so I come at it from a little different... So, when I'm making them, usually mine are, like, different characters, or, like, I'm very, like, I'm more on the kid end, so, like, it's just a family-friendly game that I'm making anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't put the he in the instructions, Mm -hmm. and I don't um, I try and make more female characters and, and just things that appeal to more people. And, I'm, you know, I think coming from our diverse, like, Kali games group, like, we're very aware of, like, we recently designed this prototype. We had to make all these different characters for our card game. So we're trying to make it very aware that, like, the diversity mm-hmm. um, was really important to us. Um, and even, like, the skin tone of the characters that the artists were making, we, were, like, varied that up. And so we're just, yeah. We're pretty, we're very, we try to keep aware of the kind of characters that we have.
1: And I think a a good example that I have is recently we're working on a a board game based on the Kids on Bikes universe, the RPG that I did. And my co designer and I, we were adding different bikes and vehicle not vehicles, but like modes of transportation that kids would use. And I was like, well, I think I want to make one of these a wheelchair. And my mm-hmm. toy designer was like, well, I don't know how to handle that and what kind of ability to give it. And I was like, well just give it an awesome ability. Like, it doesn't have to be for a wheelchair a real one, ability, it just wheelchair. has to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's the answer. Just make stuff cool and don't let people feel different because they're different. Let them feel awesome because they're awesome.
3: Yeah, give a female character strength stat for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and make it yes. have cool
1: jobs that aren't. <laughs> The same thing that every other game does.
2: And <laughs> please, for the love of God, write your rulebook in second person. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> so easy. I could not it's believe. So easy. I picked up Coimbra last year, and it has he in the rulebook. I was like, it's 2018. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Sophie owns the company, company like.
2: right? <laughs> I have a feeling it's a translation issue, but uh, they should still. Like, I think they
1: just have an editor that probably is like, this is the way you write rulebooks.
2: Yeah
0: that one's um i know i read through a rule book once that they i mean they called it themselves out mm-hmm. in a way they were like we use t because it's just easier <laughs> really <laughs> yeah, then, then. they cross it out and put okay. lazier and if it does
3: i actually like it in the examples when they use a male and a female in the example yeah. and then, then the pronouns actually, actually help, help you keep track, keep track of what's going on if, yeah. they, if they say
0: eleanor is playing mike and they say you know Right,
3: and then right. I go through.
0: I can see that, but yeah. I'm, I guess I would still use Eleanor. Yeah. yeah, I would just use their yeah. first names. Yeah, and
1: that's it's a good way to keep it inclusive at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. use people's names. It's polite. Yeah. Yeah. I have
5: a question. but
1: what point does the graphic design happen in the game? Where in that process? Never. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you enjoy doing graphic design and that's how you want to design, that's great. Like I don't. There's no wrong way to design a game. Um UX is way more important than graphic design. Like understanding that you put important information on the top left-hand side of cards because that's how people display them and don't put it on the top right. Those things are super important, but if you play a lot of games, you'll just learn those.
2: Yeah, so like so that level of graphic design, like I worked on WingsPan for about five years before it was published. And that like my graphic design evolved at that level over those five yes. years. To the point that what ended up on the final cards is almost exactly the way it is laid out on my graphic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, they hired a graphic designer to say, yes, this is the right layout. <laughs> um, but all the, like, making it pretty is really the publisher's
5: responsibility. So,
1: the graphic like, training this graphic just don't worry that I mean, if you like it, do
2: it. You probably won't be able to keep yourself from doing it. Yeah. Right. Like John said the publisher may get it and go, Hey, this looks great. I like it like it is. I'll just keep it. Uh I would That's be afraid of that
1: actually. So. Yeah. I, I would not put a lot of work into the driver dine mm-hmm. because the publisher did that and didn't offer to pay you for it, and you just Good did free work, which a is bad. fantastic. <laughs> right, so do as much that.
5: as you
2: as you feel like it's helping <laughs> the actual people play your game and help you tell you how the mechanics are working. Don't let it
1: stop you from getting the game to the table. Bro. Right. Yeah. But
3: if you're stuck on design, stopping and doing some art can actually help you get
4: some ideas. <laughs> yeah, and, and art can sometimes like attract people to play your game. Yes. Um like so if you have the right art and it's very attractive, like someone like, Hey, you know, what what is that? And then like you get more attention and publishers might even subconsciously be like, Oh, this is very interesting. So it's not like make or break, but it, it can help definitely.
1: Definitely don't pay for art. I mean, and I was okay. saying to ask people to do art for free. Right. But don't invest money on art because most publishers have their own artists. Grab and some free vision. thematic stuff yeah, on use, the internet. Yeah, it's fair use stuff.
3: if you're not publishing it. So yeah, yeah. So I, I do know um, an artist who got work for a publisher because someone had submitted a game with his art on it. But it was like four pieces, not a huge hundred piece art kind of situation
1: and I know a lot of people who co-design where like one of them is the artist and one of them is the designer and they want to do the whole thing but I also know like um, does anybody know Marcus Ross He designed uh, Discount Salmon and uh, a couple other games but like his cousin did all the artwork for the B game that came out through Indie Boards and Cards, and they just kind of refused to use the art and I'm like that's a shame but if it doesn't match the publisher's vision just be careful
0: so you'd say that then that the art is almost as important as the design when it comes to going to a publisher and them going, okay, well, this doesn't fit, like, the look that we are going for, just like a design might not fit what they usually publish?
1: Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think they'll just have a vision in mind when they look at a game. Like, when I look at a pitch, I usually have an idea of what the finished product will look like already for us. Mm-hmm. Um. And sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't match what they're looking at or the theme doesn't match. And match. So you just don't spend a lot of time on it, so you're not wasting your time.
2: Right, because in, in that case, it was one where the art on it, they didn't want to use it for publication, but it didn't stop them from publishing right. the game. But they then just we're, threw away all the work that he had, that the artist There were had done publishers that turned it down,
1: though, it. because the art was done on it, mm-hmm. and they just didn't even want to look at it.
0: Do industry trends influence your design? Like, you know, do you see that everyone's doing a rolling right? So you
2: think, man, I should do a (laughs) rolling right this year. I'd say the opposite. If all the rolling rights are already coming out, like, I'm not going to, like, if If I I start on one now, it will be done when that trend is way past. Right?
1: Yeah. How were the rolling rights at GenFound that we looked at, Sarah?
3: Did we look at any? I think people said they had Rolling Rights. <laughs> I, I
1: had several big name designers start to pull out Rolling Rights, and as soon as I did, I asked them what was different, and they couldn't answer it, so I just told them to put it back in their bag. Like, I don't want to look at another Rolling Right. If you're designing to a trend, you're probably two years too late, because it's going to take you two and a half to three years to get that out. Um, uh, so, like, I, 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 Yahtzee is probably the most classic thing thing, where you roll some dice and then write some stuff down. down. Mm -hmm. Um, There's plenty of space to do creative things with and write games and try to find those. But um, I heard a really good thing on a panel at uh, Unpub this year. The publisher said that you need either be the first person to do something, the best person to do something, or the weirdest person to do something. Anything other than those three is not a route to success.
4: Interesting.
1: I yeah, like that. I yeah. agree. I
4: don't. I, we just make games that we think fit the theme, like the mechanic. And I don't worry too much. Like, everyone has a dice drafting game. And I don't worry too much about that. I'm like, what, what best fits my theme? I just make the game I want to play. play. Yeah. yeah. Always do that. Yeah. Well, that's,
0: that's important. I mean, not just because, because you're going to play <laughs> it a thousand times, <laughs> but you'll be passionate about that, right? Right.
3: And if it's, if it's, if it's something, something I like, chances are someone, someone else will, will like it, it too.
5: too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking of,
0: I mean, what What do you you hope hope players get out of your your games games overall?
2: I mean, for me, starting with theme, usually it's that there's some weird, interesting thing in the world that I think is super cool, and I want people to agree with me that it's super cool, and I'm going to show them how cool (laughs) it is through my game. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, birds! I would say that that is the common theme through everything that I know.
3: I just want people to have
2: fun it doesn't
3: matter what my theme is my mechanic is if they're having fun i'm happy
1: yeah same i mean that's all i want is for people to enjoy themselves and that's why i want to do this
4: yes i want smiles and laughter that's what i look for when people are playtesting like are they happy and obviously, memories. yeah i want people to have good memories yeah a really good memorable experience that's
0: awesome! I love smiles and
1: laughter. That's like that's, that's another, another achievement. How many smiles? <laughs> how much laughter did I get? We, we had one game that uh, it was a party game, News Eleven, and there's no scoring system at all. Uh, but. BGG wouldn't submit it, wouldn't accept it as a submission in the system because it didn't have a winning a win condition. So we lied when we submitted it, um, and we said that the scoring is a laugh track that you just increase, you increase by one every time everybody at the table laughed, and you were just trying to get it as high as possible. That's fantastic. We never put it in the game, but that's, that's my favorite score for any party game ever. Oh my god.
0: I'm going to make a lap track score, track score system, system just for, like, Someone to do. that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, I think we've got about 12 minutes left, uh, so we'll open it up for some questions.
5: So, uh, I lost a question, I'll try and start with the problem. <laughs> How do you know when to go from the designing the notebook to creating a prototype to start what, what are the things that you need? That. Immediately. Agreed.
1: Immediately. <laughs> the longer uh, there, uh, there's a YouTuber called Zay Frank, um, and he does a, he has a video called Brain Crack, um, and he yeah. talks about the the fact that the longer a concept stays in your head, the less likely the physical thing is going to match your expectations, expectations for it from your head. So if I have an idea, idea, I will immediately make a prototype, prototype for it.
4: For it. You did that, that last Thursday, right? Like you had
1: an yeah. idea for that 18-hour contest. I spent hours
3: making a game, and that was it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's called, called Braincraft by Zay Frank, Z E F R A N K. Yeah, it, was, it was, one was one of his last one one ones. ones. Is that the 18
0: card yeah. game that's all the same card? That's, that's why, why it was so short. Sure. I only <laughs> had to make <laughs> one card. Buttonchai <laughs> currently, oh, yeah. if you want to enter a contest <laughs> this month, Shy currently has all the game contest. 18 cards, all the same
2: card. They yeah, all have to be identical, identical. and You can't, can't modify, modify them in any way. As part of and you
1: can't have any additional things like a store track or a way to keep, keep score. We have track. no yeah. little
0: tokens or anything. It's just yeah. gotta yeah, yeah. So yeah. a little brain yeah. burger there. Is
5: that I
1: or, I, don't I don't use that, that early in the process because it, because it takes me a week to get the files ready and a week to get the files from them and a bunch of money. Index cards with pen and paper is fine um, until you get agile enough with like some form of software that you I can now use like card Major and prototype a game faster than handwriting it But just handwrite it and then scribble things out and try them and try them and try them,
2: and try them. Yeah, for that very first like you can never prototype too quickly, definitely handwritten um, I use software called NanDeck to make cards um, which goes so you can put all the information for the cards in a spreadsheet, and mm-hmm. then it, and then within NANDEC you program, okay, take everything from column A, and that goes here on the card, and everything in column B goes here on the card. Um, and so then if you want to make a whole new deck where you have changed the score on every card, you just change the formula in your spreadsheet. To change the score and it just auto generates a whole new yeah. deck of cards you don't have to change them one by one it is hugely valuable if you are working on a card game I, yeah, NANDEC, yeah. NANDEC. nan deck n a n it's the, the beginning, beginning of the N-A-N guy's N-A-N name nan deck yeah. um, um, and it's free open source yeah. yeah sarah and i use a free program called
1: card maker and that's at nhmk.com and it does the same thing it's data merge uh i think it's as good as indesign but it's never going to be used professionally because it's free, but yeah. for me, I, I can work way faster way in it than using it. Uh, TardMaker at nhmk.com. N-H-M-K. Yep. I had a question when you were about diversity and inclusion in games, I just had a idea. um What are your strengths of, sort of the idea of if
5: you know, characters aren't people, but they're
2: on this? I, I mean, if it's, it's consistent, consistent with your cool. theme, then absolutely you should do it. Um, I don't think
3: I've made, I've made a game with characters in it. Characters in it. Yeah, I haven't it's, it's just you one. are the <laughs> character in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Mine, Mine my
1: typically is just names and placeholder art, but I mean, that's, that's fine too. Though, I, don't, I don't think it's bad. As long, I mean, as long as you weren't doing it to dodge it but i I don't don't think think that's what you're doing so
4: yeah i've had animals in games and we've also had characters in games and um i don't think it's an easy way out to have animals at all like no it's like if it fits your theme that's what it goes with that's fine just be be really careful careful when you if you personify those animals animals that that you don't don't put put racial stereotypes
3: stereotypes into that (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen uh, that done mm-hmm. a few times past
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, easier to have that than to not I mean
0: if you've played Topiary Topiary actually has a meeple that is in a wheelchair and you, you can, can tell that it's, it's a person in a wheelchair so I mean even, even the, the shadows you can add a little something, something to, to
2: that that. Mm-hmm. that said I think that when you do have humans, humans and they are sort, sort of from a diverse range of identities um that can be a really powerful experience for players who have not experienced that like i remember playing path of light and shadow i think it was the first game when i like oh, looked you. at the cards and was like holy crap these this are is amazing Uh, Like the women are like warriors and healers and, you know, all different skin tones. Like that is an amazing game to look at for that specifically, just for the artwork. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, So So like, so so the the other, I think think not doing doing that isn't necessarily an easy way out. And you, you could try to do, do it and do it, do it badly, badly, which, which is, is also a risk, but, but done well, it can be an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, well. you
1: can look at Fantasy Flight games, that's how to not do it a lot of times, time. especially <laughs> the Arkham <laughs> Horror stuff. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, like yeah, your characters don't have, characters have to be a stereotypical thing that they do. i rather you not do it at all than do it badly, I think. Yeah.
3: Yeah, there was a game, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a Kickstarter game, it had a horror theme, and there were no, no characters in the game, game that i wanted to play because they were all so offensive mm. and they, they had, had a diverse
5: group of
0: characters they, they were just all stereotypes oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's worse yeah. Uh,
3: back
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, having accessible PS is also a
1: nice the game. Oh, um, yeah, not I'm going to write that down. That's a great point.
5: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. fantastic. They're very right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's podcast, uh Uh podcast but are all market I think think it's something we're seeing people move to. I know,
0: Um, I I talk a lot about about colorblind accessibility because I have visual issues on that spectrum. Um, spectrum. Um, And and we've we've seen seen a big move just in the last decade of people starting to recognize that you don't just throw color in there, make the shape different or do something like that. I love the idea of
5: a card or a sleeve that is somehow maybe just embossed. So you could just run your finger on it and you could tell
0: that this was the number one card or that's a really great one. But you're right, it's hard when it's all aftermarket stuff because then the onus of, of making it accessible is on the player and not on whoever published it or designed it. So I'm interested, from a design standpoint, what would be some things that you all would think you could maybe throw in to make things a little easier?
2: I mean, I think a lot of the stuff at the, at the publisher level, when they're designing the physical... Pieces of the game mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily need to be in the, in the prototype, but it's certainly something that more designers, design, if, they if they were aware of it, could be pushing, pushing on their, their publishers, publishers to be, to be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Plus, mm-hmm. if you had, had
5: accessible prototypes, then you could have, have
0: people in those groups play groups, them, play mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and then pass that information mm-hmm. down to the publisher. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I definitely, really I took some notes to pass on to the, the rest of the
1: Pandasaurus team, because you're right, right that's very important stuff that's not, not that, that hard, hard to do that publishers need, need to think of. of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh.
5: Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I mean, I'd love to get your contact
1: information Yeah. yeah. after this.
5: Um, uh, other side of the so when you design, how much do you actually put in to think about the model of the game? Do you allow that to influence some of
1: your choices? or do you just your career, artists and put that aside? Uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah and I were talking about this this morning, this morning actually. Um, Eric Blaine, Blaine had, had a really, really good talk, talk at Unpub on like four or five years year ago. And, and he, he said, said most designers, designers fall into one of three categories. categories. There's, there's the artist, the there's the business person, and there's, there's the rock star. And, and some people, people are a mix of two I, I, because I, it's, it's my full time job, job I kind of have to, to be a little bit of the business person and a little bit of the artist, artist. Um, but, but there's, there's nothing wrong, wrong with being the business person and trying to make a marketable thing, thing. Uh, but, um, but I think, I think you'll, you'll be, be less long term successful if you're not making the thing that you're passionate about and people are going to feel passionate about as well I see a lot of just this game's going to be hot in two years pitches and I want, I want to see, see that something that, that this game's going to be a game that people want to want play 50, 50 times more
4: yeah i totally agree like if you're passionate and you enjoy playing your own game like sarah was saying like there'll be a market for it and so even though you have to be realistic in the end like who is this targeted for who am i pitching it to i would still make something that you love <laughs> mm-hmm. and it'll find a place
1: I mean, my, my goal is, is to never have a game published, published that, that I don't want to play a hundred times after it's published. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been, I've played, I've played Dead, Dead Winter and over, over that, that and, and I still, still play, play it all the game.
5: time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, a lot of guys talking about going to self publishing that. So. Yes. <laughs> 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 I mean I was you're in it.
2: like I, it, it takes, takes over all of the time that you could spend, spend making games and makes you focus on the b- business side b- of running, running a game, game publishing.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Don't self publish right. because <laughs> you can't or you don't, don't want, want to find a publisher self publish because, because you want to publish.
1: publish. Yeah, cuz you, you want, want to be a publisher. publisher. The chances are pretty good you won't do any designing if you're successful. You will be finding other designers to publish and not. And that's one of Colby's biggest regrets with Flat Hat Games is he wasn't able to design for a long time because he was just so busy running the company.
4: Yeah, and I, I learned that the whole oh, yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're almost five years old now and when we first started I tried to self-publish everything and it's just like, it's not my background, it's not my expertise, it's not my love, it's not, love, it's not why I started doing this. and And it's really really hard and it takes a lot lot of money and you have to get investors if you really want to do it right and I don't don't want investors because then they have to like they might like mess up my mission mission, which is like I want Mm -hmm. science and so so, like
1: yeah yeah. so now now, I I just for the past two years we basically pitched
4: to larger companies and um would would get get royalties that way so it depends. If if you love, you know, the, the business manufacturing side and you're logistical and you know all about like crates and shipping and all of that, go for it. But if you'd rather spend time on the design part, I would not sell And it's it's, your, yeah, it's really satisfying, satisfying to get the good art for your game, game that's going to go in the published project.
3: It's also really disappointing to get bad art. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you have, have to, I think, uh, if this is a game, game you you really love and you want it to look a particular way, way you kind of have, have to set a little bit of that aside. And you
1: have, and you have to be prepared for like really nobody backing it if it, it doesn't right go well and all, all the feelings, feelings that come along with <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, there are, there are people, people who will say you should do Kickstarter because you get 100% of the profit. But I think I know more people who have... Lost significant, significant amounts of, of money on, on Kickstarters yet. than who have made significant, significant money. And, and you'll spend a lot, lot of time reading about caps. caps. Literally <laughs> gone whole. And mm-hmm.
4: Kickstarters are difficult. Like everyone just thinks, I'm gonna put a Kickstarter up and it's there's the my worst game. month out of your yeah, year. Yeah, it's a full time <laughs> commitment, and you have to get most of your audience, like at least half of it, like accrued before you even start the kickstarter and it's it's not just like i'm gonna put it up there and see what happens and we we have a kickstarter coming
1: out in like two weeks and we have a team of six people preparing it and hoping that it'll be successful
2: employed
4: people working
2: for your yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. Full-time so, I mean, people. Get to, to, to do it. it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Not in like, yeah, your spare time after the job. Right. Right. And, like, and, right. we and we have one person's job, job is, is to just handle the comments right. right. and customer service like, questions during it, which that would be your job. But it's also graphic designing the page and getting returns on games where stuff got damaged from manufacturing and making sure the game's clear customs and dealing with the people that are upset because it's form of delayed. Because you didn't, didn't know, know about Chinese New Year, year until, until you published your game,
5: uh-huh.
2: and then um, because a lot of publishers are, are still using Kickstarter even once they're at that point, those are the people, people you're then going up against on Kickstarter for the, for the Kickstarter, Kickstarter, Kickstarter audience, audience, right? So it's, I think it's. I just hope that doesn't discourage you <laughs> if you yeah. want to yeah. self-publish. Yeah. Uh, the advice
1: I always tell people, people is like. If you, if you really want to do it, just ignore, ignore everything we say because we're wrong, too. Like
5: There are people who
2: make it work, too. right? Yeah, like, and, then
1: and then there's people, people love that love it, it so.
2: And, I, and, and then, then, then it becomes a success. success. I, think I think the, the, the people, people who can make, make it work then make, make, make a company
1: out right. of it. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I started a publishing company and immediately shelved it. And we were only going to do, like, little tiny craft games. And
4: it was me and two other
1: people that were going to do it. And I didn't want to do it anymore.
4: That being said, sorry, one more thing. We do actually, even though our business model is now pitching and licensing, we do sell our games locally and on our website. So um, Game Crafter actually has like a print-on-demand. So like if someone comes to my website and wants, you know, like Crazy Cats or whatever we have, then I'll go on the back end and ship it to them from Game Crafter. And like that's very small amounts of games it's not like enough to live on by any means but it's like a way of doing
1: it (laughs) you can usually work out in your contract where you can sell your game locally and you know buy it at essentially cost and sell it locally and just split those profits like if you really want to pay hundreds of dollars to go to a convention to have a booth and sit there all day and sell your game you can still do that and, and if you are interested, are interested in that,
0: there's
5: a marketing, marketing mail, mail tomorrow, so,
0: <laughs> so stop <laughs> it. And, <we'll> talk. <laughs> and they'll
5: tell you all the positive things about it. Yes. <laughs> and, and not now how you spend three months, months of your life just sitting on, on Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm
0: Unfortunately, it is 2 I know we have a couple more questions. questions. I'm sure, I'm sure they, they will, will be milling around. I'll um, be happy to answer questions all yeah. weekend. Yeah, yeah. so thank
5: you all so much for coming. Thank you.